guest. Uh, he's a member of law enforcement. I'm going to let him introduce himself. I'm uh, Sergeant Tom Lee with the Hardin County Sheriff's Office. Well, Sergeant Lee has a, uh, a very intriguing history. He's got some great stories, and we believe you guys are going are gonna to be amused, entertained, and inspired by him, his life story, and his experiences. Uh, Tom, we really appreciate you coming on here with us today, mm -hmm. and uh, we look forward to the stories you're going to tell us and you sharing your life with us and our audience. Yes, sir. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you, man. Well, Tom, where were you born? I was born in Dallas, Texas. Really? Dallas, Texas. So how long did you live in Dallas? I lived there till I was in my 30s. Wow. Okay. So until you were in your 30s. So born in Dallas. How many siblings do you have? I have a full sister and two half, well, half sister and half brother. So you got two siblings. Three. You got half brother, half sister, and a full sister. Yeah, you know, I, I graduated with Southeast Texas math in my brain, yeah. so you'll have to forgive me. <laughs> okay, so you are one of four. Now, did all of you grow up in the same house? No, my. Uh, my dad was married to a woman, first off, okay. and got a divorce, and then married my mom, and me and my full sister were together. Okay. My half-sister, half-brother, I know my half-sister a little bit, but okay. not not to a great extent. I know my, my half-brother very well. What's the age gap like, and where do you fall in that? Uh, my... Half sister is fourteen years older. My half brother is like eleven years older. Okay, uh, somewhere around there. My um, then it's me. My little sister is four years younger than me. Okay, so would you describe yourself as the oldest child in the house when you grew up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean that makes sense. I mean the others were gone. Yeah. They weren't there while you were there. So if you wouldn't mind, share with us how what was your what was the home you grew up in like. Describe so, the environment. My uh, mom and dad, uh, they were there with, took and put me in Christian school. Okay, so you went to private school? I went to private school, uh, Garland Christian Academy. Mm -hmm. Go Swordsman. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some uh, some audience in the Dallas area, yeah. quite a few, in fact. Then uh, I spent time there. My dad... He first worked as, what do you call it, a tradesman for uh, Richardson Independent School District. Oh, okay. Uh, doing uh, HVAC. Ah. And then at night, he would do side business, and he turned his side business into a full-time job what? doing air conditioning heating. I've been working with him since I was high to a cricket. Okay. <laughs> what was discipline like in the home? Well, I mean, they, they ran a tight ship. 
probably okay. mom more than dad. Like, even though dad was when mom made it to like dad for love, but he was more chill, kind of like I am. Okay. Well, to be more specific, uh, did you get spankings? Did you get whoopings? Uh, I've had a few. Okay. Uh, mostly from mom. <laughs> Like I said, dad, dad. If if it was serious, then dad. Yeah. Mom more than dad. Of course, dad was working all the time, so he uh, doing. At the first part of my life, he was working his regular job, got off, and then went to work his side job. So sometimes you didn't get him home until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Mm. So dad was a dedicated hard worker. Yep. And so that was mom stayed at home while dad worked or, or? stayed at home for most of the time I was growing up. She went to college. She got her, she actually graduated with her bachelor's degree in education the same year I graduated high school. Wow. Okay. Wow. And How does that make you feel about uh, that? It, it's, it's just a neat little fact. Yeah. You're proud of her, aren't you? Yeah. I could tell by the way you said it. Then she uh, became a teacher. She retired from Dallas ISD uh, two years ago, somewhere around there. Hmm. So you got two hardworking parents. Yep. And so how did that impact you in your childhood? Them, like your dad being gone a lot and your mom being running the, the show, do you, do you feel like that was a positive influence on your life? Yeah. Uh, the way things came out? I spent a lot of time, like, my dad would come home, pick me up, and I'd go working with him. So I've got some of the same work ethic that he had. Uh, I know you said knee high to a cricket, but how old do you think you were when you started going on, on jobs with dad? Three, four. Wow. Really young. I mean, it, it was handing a screwdriver. This is what a screwdriver is. Mm, did it make you feel big when you got to go do that? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and and I remember like the church we went to, uh, as my dad would work on it, man, I'd get out some uh, sandpaper and just polish the pipes and make them look because it's copper pipes and they get it all corrosive and, and turn green, they blue green that you see. Yeah, yeah. polish them. Pipe that's what I was doing and contributing. To Made you feel like you were doing something big. Heck okay. yeah. That's cool. Heck yeah. yeah. So, how'd you do in school? I did okay. B's, C's. I mean, I didn't really apply myself very much. Uh, school was never top of my list of things to do. I love to learn. Don't like school. Okay. Did you always love to learn, though, when you were when you were younger? did Was that really a thing, like... Back then, like in the high school years, did you feel like that? I mean, I, I took hard classes. I took chemistry. I took... Uh, On purpose? Yeah. Oh, wow. That was, okay. uh, it was an electric class. I, took, uh, I was kidding about that. <laughs> I took uh, uh, calculus. Wow. Electric class. I took uh, uh, physics. It was an electric class. Huh. Stuff that I didn't have to do. Some serious brain work. I right, think. right, right. Wow. Uh, so, um, no, that's impressive because I don't know that I would have volunteered for Not me, that. baby. Not me. When you got to the end of high school there at, at the Christian school, what was next for you? What came next? I immediately went to 
the University of Texas of Dallas. Okay. And uh, they had a dual electrical engineering uh, computer science degree. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. So I started college there. Okay. Okay. Uh, it didn't take me long to figure out, eh, I probably don't want to do that. Okay. Really? Okay. So what evolved next? Well, so when I went to uh, the college, one of the things that they had there was the Police Explorer program. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So through the college, I got to start hanging out with the college police officers, mm -hmm. and that's what guided my career towards law enforcement. Okay, very good. All right. So you would have been, like, not still in your teens then, 1920? Yeah, 19 or so. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I was 19 when I started college, okay. and I joined the police department at UT Dallas on my, in, when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, started dispatching for so the okay so the UT Dallas uh, Police Department that was your first you would say my first paying gig as a as an officer as a little police officer okay okay well keep going down that journey where where all has has that uh, that discovery where all has that taken you so I, I I was going there I I was spent three years approximately as a dispatcher uh, put myself through police academy. Okay. Uh, end up getting hired by UT Dallas as a cop, mm. and they have a rule AT system. I don't know if it's still a rule, but at that time, if the department wasn't understaffed and like at under eighty percent mm -hmm. capacity, then their officers had to go back through their police academy. Mm. Oh wow! Their mm. academy is in Austin, Texas, oh. at, at Big UT. They have a out in the Bee Caves area in Austin, they have their own academy. I've seen it. It's a, it's actually and, a really neat school. And that academy supplies the UT campuses? Is that uh, how it works, or is it... All UT campuses, but they they have some they put through uh, Parks and Wildlife oh. has sent people there, San Marcos PD has sent Okay, okay. So other, yeah. other people can... So, so I can apply and be a part. So you don't have to necessarily be in the UT system. You can be, okay. My my academy class was all UT. Got you. Okay. okay. There was 20 of us or something. Right, right, right. So at this point, you're still in the Dallas area. You're still, and yep. as opposed, except for the, the short stint there, I guess, at the Austin. About six months. Yeah. We spent yeah. Uh, per diem, and they got us a hotel room in Austin. Okay. okay. Spent. My time there. That has a hint of danger. A bunch of twenty-somethings with with per diem at an academy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't mean the and, danger. And they're like, at Sixth Street. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe a few ladies. I don't know, but uh, but presume mostly guys. And yeah, out, out of the tw roughly twenty people, fifteen of them were men. Okay, all right. So it's a pretty male-dominated school yeah. at that point for you. That's okay. All right. 
Well, that's good. Okay, so we're so we're easing down that journey. Yeah, that, that's very good. Uh, so um, obviously, it's eventually you you worked your way down toward our part of the state, which is Southeast Texas. But I presume there's there's steps in between. So so from the UT system, what, what happened next? Hold that for one oh, second. Sorry. I am sorry. I'm going to interrupt here because yeah. you you brought up a number in your in your police academy class. I want to illustrate this for the audience, just in case people in the public a lot of times don't really understand what it takes to become an officer and, and the process for going through a police academy and, and how those things play out in results. So you had 20 in your class, right, that applied to go to school. How many graduated and were able to become officers and get their license? I think they only failed out two. Oh, wow. That's mm -hmm. good. So they screen their candidates really well yeah. going into that academy. That's really good. So that's... 90%. Right. In others. At the college. Yes. They, they want more. Yeah, they want somebody that. There's a pretty thick test, at least at the time. Yes. To, to An entry test. The entry test. Much, much harder than. I've, I've applied several places. Yes. Much harder than a lot of the places have. Mm. And for the audience that doesn't know, um, there are public academies where you can go, you can apply, you can take a test, uh, just pretty well anyone can, and you can go if you have a, rec a clean record and all that and you want to become an officer, uh, get licensed in the state of Texas. You can go to an academy and the failure rate is between 60 and 40%. The, the first academy I went to, uh, I went to wow. academy, first academy I went to was one of those. You put yourself through. Yes. Uh, I, I have no clue how many people made it or not. It was half day. So I, I went to the academy from eight to noon uh, for two semesters, three semesters, right. whatever it was. It, it's longer because it's, it's half days. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I put myself through that, and then I'd get off at noon and be at work at 2 o'clock mm. or 3 o'clock, whatever it was, and dispatch for eight hours. You guys having your experience uh, in, you know, with those types of academies, it sounds like that, that one academy you were just describing, uh, you more or less have working students, whereas the, the academy in Austin was pretty much full commit. It, it was a full commit. Yeah. At Austin, at ET gotcha. system, gotcha. The, everybody there was paid, paid to be there. Yes. Whereas the other ones, like like anything, it's normally done through the junior colleges. Okay. Uh, here in the Beaumont area, LIT is the one that does the academy. Gotcha. They have they have a combined where it's some are are putting themselves through, mm -hmm. and some are sponsored by an agency. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And then you've got the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Mm -hmm. and it does a nighttime academy. Okay. They weren't offering that when I went through. No. I went through the daytime <laughs> academy, and I put myself through. And put yourself through. Yeah. I don't I don't see how the people work full-time and go full-time through the academy. Yeah, yeah. It's just a nightmare, but we have people to do it. Certainly, yeah. I, mean, I know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I presume in those situations, it's a little more have to for some of those guys. They have families and responsibilities and can't just stop, you know. I mean, right. you were fortunate to be able to 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 basically be sponsored. Picking up a sponsor is yeah. a really good thing because not only 
is your schooling paid for yeah. to get a salary while you're I got you. Yeah, I got you. Well the fact that you're, you know, still, you know, in that industry and doing really well is a testament to that was a that was a a, um, a sponsorship that really paid off you know for our law enforcement as a whole but yeah personally but you know because you're you, hey man that little bit of investment for a few months you're still doing it you know that's good stuff yeah appreciate that thank you so you've been in law enforcement itself now for how long uh since oh two so that would be almost 22 years that's good. That is it's really good. So we're going to skip around forward and back in time a little bit here and there. Uh, when you were a kid, this is, a, this is a crazy question. When you were a kid, you know, going with your dad and doing this, that, and the other, making so-so grades, what was your, did you have a, like all kids, I want to be this when I grow up. Did you have that? Well, I wanted to pursue a job in the air conditioning industry. Okay, because your dad was, you know. Yeah, and I worked with him. I ended up, like, once I got my driver's license, I ended up doing all his troubleshooting. Yeah. Uh, I'd go out and troubleshoot, whatever, uh, or fix it if it was something, but if it needed to be replaced or whatnot, I'd call him and say, hey, I need a replacement unit. It's scheduled for heat coming and replace the unit. When all that was going on, how how did he, was he proud? Like, would, did that make him happy that you were working with him in his industry? I'm sure. Did he express that? Did he make you feel? As much as, he was just like, he was pretty normal. He was just doing his thing. Yeah. So what, then to follow up with that, when you made the switch, when you decided, I'm going this way because law enforcement's calling me, how did he, how did he, how did him and your mom both react to that? They they were on board with whatever. Very supportive, yeah. very happy. Mom wasn't scared? Nope. nope. Mom, as far as I know, she never expressed to me that she was scared. Now, she probably was because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a crazy world out there. But. Yeah. So, in O2, you stayed, how far, how much past your introduction? How How long did you practice law enforcement? in Dallas before moving here? So I graduated academy in December of 05 from UT's academy. Okay. Uh, that, that's my start date as a cop. Uh, I continued on. My, my dad ended up dying my f first phase of FTO. Okay. So, uh, which... That in and of itself, that that's pretty difficult when you're you're trying to learn the police thing and then your dad dies. I, that's I mean, at at that point in time in my life, I didn't think it was like okay, I'll just press on and, and move on. But it it really looking back on it now. Well, Tom, based on the story you've been telling. Your dad and you were pretty close. Oh, yeah. You, he was an integral part of, of your life, and he involved you in his life. So I can only speculate and imagine that that was a, that was a big loss. And you were, I mean, I, I could be wrong. Help me if I'm wrong. But it sounds like maybe you were, you thought maybe you could focus on your career path and move forward. But that bump, that's a big bump. Uh, it was a big bump, especially when it 
Tyler. I I remember specifically about a week after my dad died. I I was driving around working day shift. And my FTO looked over me and goes, you gonna stop for that stop line? Mm -hmm. Right, right through. Now, it was a Saturday on a school campus. There was, or Sunday, I don't remember which day. It was a weekend. There was nobody at the campus. Right. It's not like it put anybody in danger. I was, I was just kind of spaced out. Mm -hmm. You were kind of just caught up in all the thoughts and just on autopilot. Didn't even see the stop sign. Of course, I'd already been working at the school and attended the school for three years or so at this point. Yeah. So I knew it was there. I've been through it hundreds of times. It wasn't about the stop sign. Nope. Had nothing to do with the stop sign. No, I just no. So yeah. how did you and your FTO, did y'all bond? Did y'all become close? Yeah. Uh, my uh, first FTO, Kendra Penny. And then I had my Raymond Dyson at a point in time and Terry McCurry. And I kept in contact with all of them. Of course, Terry McCurry ended up committing suicide. Dyson just died after having hip replacement or knee replacement surgery. He got an infection from what I'm told and died two or three years ago. On occasion, I still talk to Kendra. So for our audience out there who's listening, uh, FTO stands for field training officer. And anyone who becomes a new police officer or even a, even an experienced uh, police officer who moves from one department to another, you're going to have the benefit of partnering up with a more experienced officer in that department. They'll pair you up with someone and they'll become your immediate supervisor while you're on shift and learning the ropes of your department, of your city, and and the rules of that city, the the you know, laws of that city and the you know the lay of the land, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that the audience knew what FTO meant. <laughs> and uh, oftentimes, those FTO moments are are seminal in a man's development into uh, a functional officer. Would you agree with that? Oh, without a doubt. And that's why that relationship maintains. And what you've just illustrated is something that a lot of people don't see and don't understand is that... Being a cop, it sounds dangerous, you know, to, to the public, and they think about, oh, you're going to get shot at. There's a lot more than just getting shot at. You you mentioned that one of your FTOs, how did they die? By suicide. That is one of the most common ways for officers to go is by suicide, and it's because so many times officers – just bring in all these things. They experience all these things. They're there for the worst moments in everyone else's lives, right? That is correct. And you become like a like a thumb drive full of memories, full of all those memories of everyone else's worst moments, right? That typically, that's how we're not there for, for birthday celebrations and for this and that. The cop is showing up with 
other people are at their absolute worst, whether it's a family member dying, heart attacks. That's right. Whatever. Uh, you just got beat up by your girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, Rapes. You had an accident and, and mangled your, your body mm-hmm. somehow. I we're there for the the bad things. Mm-hmm. We're never there for the good things. Mm-hmm. Right. You and don't need us for the good times. Right. Not right. only that, but we are you are sacrificing the positive moments with your family in order to serve your community at their worst moments. And that is something that people often miss mm-hmm. about that service, about that particular public service. Uh, is that you're giving up your most positive moments in many cases so that you can be there for their most needed moments, their worst times, to protect them from the bad guy or to stand between them and bad, you know? So we appreciate you. We appreciate your service. Thank you. So follow-up question to that, Tom. Uh, so, you know, given, and for either of you, you both work in law enforcement, so given that level of de- definition of the purpose for your service, you know, meaning it's bad days, bad moments, bad days, bad res- yeah, things to respond to, uh, obviously there is a... Uh, there's a lot to sort out when you get called to something like that. But at the same time, would you say that there is the the risk to any officer of whether it is, uh, and I'm thinking more like mental health at this point, you know, just uh, a complacency or maybe even kind of a, a bitterness where they might lose that effect to say, look, I'm the trained person to respond to this, almost like there's a dread to do that. Uh, I wonder that sometimes, because I do get to counsel some with officers, and they, they'll do their job, and they'll still do it, but they'll say, man, sometimes, Chuck, it's just like, you know, when that when that when that call goes out, you know, it's a it's a bad moment, and 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 they they sense that about themselves. They want to come in and release a lot of that to make room to do more because they deal they just still want to do their job. So I don't know if that's something you've seen among your colleagues through the years, or so I mean, we all tend to tend to be adrenaline junkies, okay, uh, and, and and you're you're going. To the next call, and you've got to learn how to channel that. Okay, that's one of the first things that, and part of that FTO process is trying to condition you mm. to not respond to that. Okay, I I've got a heart. I I feel my heart going. We're going to this hot call. Let's take some breaths. Let's slow down okay. our reaction so that when we get there, we're not. All hyped and right. it's like the suspect or victim mm-hmm. when they're they're at a loss, they're losing it. Yes, yeah, they're in a way extraordinary situation. We still have that yeah, going on. Yes, but we've learned to to hold it, suppress it, compartmentalize it, and without really going into detail. Yeah, compartmentalize is uh is, is that something that you would say officers there there is training for that, or that each officer kind of has to come up with their own best technique. So, a little bit of both. Okay, they do things called stress inoculation. Okay, during the academies, we try to put you in hard spots in a controlled environment 
so you figure it out work through it you keep going gotcha. so you learn that mm. of course you don't completely learn it until you're out there doing it for sure. several years sure. and that's you figuring out yourself okay what do I feel like a pursuit just comes out I, I'm pumped I'm ready to get in this pursuit what do I have to do to slow my body down mm. and I, I I can't tell you how many calls I've been on when I was in patrol that we show up to situations and they always tell you don't say you need to calm down mm. <laughs> they, they, they tell you just don't say that I've adapted that to we need to calm down. Uh, and I've used the box breathing, combat breathing, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. And I do it with them. Okay. Uh, normally, I'm not out of control because I've right. got years of experience. But, sure. hey, let's do this so that we all can calm down. Now that is managing the scene right there. Yeah. That's that, good That's stuff. one of my favorite techniques okay. to use yeah. is box breathing. Okay. Okay, and obviously that's been applied many times, and you found it to be very effective. Yes, I've I yeah. used it with people in anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. I've used it on scenes with mothers that have seen their their child completely decimated in a car mm. crash. Mm. I, I've used it many times. Right, to, right. To help bring the situation down. Yes. From screaming, crying mother, and now... Okay, we can actually communicate, actually work through the issue. Right, right. Wow, that is impressive. You know that, that it, I'm sure mo most officers you know, do feel that that um, that need to have those skills. But I appreciate you sharing with our audience and kind of more of a kind of a one to one conversation, saying this is a doable thing. You can learn yes. to do this, and it works. One hundred percent works. That's I awesome. Can't tell you how many times. Right, and, and even I I do a formal thing myself, like when I get in pursuit or whatnot. Yes. I, I'll feel my heart start racing, and it'll be like, okay, I need to slow this down. Yes. Because if I'm out of control, then the whole scene's out of control. Yes, yes. And, I, and, I'll, uh, and of course, in the moment, I see all the assets, but then I'm also getting a sense of the future tense, because by the time someone's gone through the trauma you're first responding to, Weeks to months later, they're sitting in my office and they're actually able to process that situation much better because guys like y'all starting the scene with techniques like that. Man, that's that's impressive. Thank you. And walking us through all that. Yeah. That's just part of it. That's part of it. That's why we're here. That's There's right. little nuances that little the public bit. doesn't think about or know about. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, I can, we all fear fear things yeah you're in the middle of it you're walking into a dangerous situation you're fearful yourself that's right you've got to learn how to control that and how to suppress that mm -hmm. and maybe even and uh and this is just my thinking maybe even use that fear to a little bit of my advantage you know, and I've worked with a lot of um, discharged uh, military and they've come back and and that's kind of how they made it in the moment. You know, for their 12 to 18 or 20 months that they were over there is they they didn't want to do away with fear. They wanted to embrace it and use it like as a 
maybe a security, you know, their alerts are up. Now, it's hard. To, you can't live like that indefinitely. It, that's why they kind of block it at time and they take time off. And that's partly why they came in to talk, because it does take a toll. Yeah. And they, they say for law enforcement, I, I don't like these surveys in front of me and saying what it is. Because we're at home doing it at home, the turning off just doesn't happen as much yeah. and leads to that suicide rate. Oh, yeah. Yes. I could see that because, you know, I can't unknow what I know. And then that all the other cause and effects from being in those, you know, those high anxiety moments and, you know, and then all that just come, man, that... That has a tragedy component to it. That That's sad. That's sad to me. There's no removal from the triggers. Yes. There's no removal from Your the environment is the same. Yeah. And that, that becomes the nightmare. Yeah. That uh, goes if, home with if you. If it gets that way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. So, Tom, we've... We've talked about a lot of things, uh, and you've you've mentioned that you've been in law enforcement for over 20 years now. What's your favorite thing about law enforcement? That's a big question, I know. It's probably the camaraderie. I wouldn't disagree a bit. We all poke fun at each other. I mean, this the things that most of the public doesn't see, but well, I'm a practical joker. Everybody will tell you that, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to walk in and have ten foiled your whole desk, <laughs> or or like stressful. I I work in mental health now. Okay. Uh, so I'm assigned to a unit. So there's stress balls laying around. You're supposed to squeeze stress stress balls to relieve stress. Mm -hmm. That's not the way I think they work. Okay. I throw a stress ball at you. He laughs about it. He is less stressed. I agree entirely. That is a that is a wonderful reinvention of a stress ball. Repurpose. Yeah. We're all less stressed. That, that, that is way more efficient than me just holding it and squeezing it. I mean, they say laughter is the best medicine. Indeed. So we can hit. That's a lot of right effect. That's it. I love it. Yes. That is an exponentially multiplied effect. Get yourself. I can't tell you. Apply of stress balls, but don't use the instructions. Come up with better ways. <laughs> they, they hide them from me around the office because they all know that I'm going to get them out and just start some. Of course. That's what they're for, evidently. That's great. <laughs> that's great. So, that's great. I love that. that was I do too. What I brought too. you from Dallas to Southeast Texas? So, it's another part. Uh, I, uh, I ended up getting fired from the UT Dallas Police Department. Okay. It. it it sucks. I don't agree with what they they uh, did there, but uh, from some of my connections there, my friend became the police chief at Lamar University. Mm -hmm. So I came down to work for him at Lamar University. I spent about three years there before I went and joined the sheriff's office. Who was your friend? Jason Goodridge. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So you came from Dallas to work at another university, PD, and then from there, what happened? Oh, well. Um, came to Lamar in Beaumont. Came to Lamar, spent, spent basically three years working at Lamar, and uh, through some connection I made there, I found out about the, the Hardin County Sheriff's Office, and 
went to work for the Hardin County Sheriff's Office. Been there for nine years. Okay. A little over nine years now. Very good. So do you like, when you compare the two, you know, working for a, uh, a college or an ISD type of police department and then going to a more of a government municipality type police department, how do you compare the two? Do you prefer the... I would much rather work with the sheriff's office. 100% hands down. There's no ifs, ands, or what's about it. Uh, at the college, college shows its, its own thing. There's some politics. Of course, there's politics everywhere. Absolutely. That uh, you go, but uh, I'm... One of the things that Jason started when he was chief um, is he wanted to just clean up the neighborhood around him. Right. We all know from this area that the south end of Beaumont's not the best area in town. Yeah. Uh, I, when, I, when I was at UT, it was drugs and alcohol mm. were the, the big things. That's in a very rich area of town. Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't get a lot of a lot of thefts and stuff, but not not a lot of regular crimes. Not, not a lot of violent crime. Not not through violent stuff. It, was, it wasn't until I, I moved down here and because of Goodrich's overview that the that the surrounding neighborhood needed to be cleaned up because they were coming on to bringing the crime on the campus. Yeah, true. Uh, so I worked a lot at Lamar in the surrounding community, hmm. much more than I did on the campus, uh, which I did work on the campus too, but I, I spent a lot of my time in the community huh. out there. Okay. Okay. So then you you got connected and got, got employed at Hardin County. We have found out that that's your preference is to work for a sheriff's department. Uh, I would I would have to agree with you about that, as opposed to an ISD type of police department. Uh, my preference would also be that line of work. So since you've been there, uh, I'm sure there was a great learning curve. Uh, the the different types of of your patrol and your your span, the map that you get to cover is a whole lot bigger when you moved into a county versus uh, working at a university. Yeah, it went from like two miles yeah. to 897 square miles. Exactly. <laughs> so then you've got to go through FTO again, Yep. get through your training process, and then get yourself acclimated. Uh, so you had a, a shift of thought which is essentially you you kind of reinvented yourself within your career. Would you agree with that? A few times. Yeah. So when you got into Hardin County, did you did you get long-lasting relationships with your FTOs there too? So Hardin County does it a little different, mm -hmm. or, or at least at the time they did it a little different. I was with the same FTO for my duration of FTO, which, because I already had experience and whatnot, my FTO time was cut down. I did... Yeah, absolutely. Two months in uh, FTO instead of four months. Okay. So, so, 
I, I've got a very specific question to law this this particular phase of your journey. So I'm going to ask you if you can remember and what it was like. So can you remember the first night you were off of FTO? Did you have a shadow program? I mean, yes. That's when you came off FTO, were you shadowed? At both places, yes. Okay. Well, actually, not at not at Hardin County. At first, at both the universities, shadowed. But when at Hardin County, when you came off FTO, you were you were alone. Yeah. Okay. So your first night alone, first day or night, was it night? Can you remember that? Yeah. I can remember my first shift. I, I remember alone. my first shift at the university. At, okay. At Hardin County. I So let's go back. I wanna I wanna hear about your first call. That's what I'm after. Can you remember your first call at by yourself at any at anywhere? Can you remember it? By myself, no, but I can tell you my first call as a Do it. Then tell us. Tell us. Because that's a that is a life changing moment. I was working night shift at UT. First day on, we graduated Academy the 18th. I think they gave us the week off so we can do Christmas because it was right there with our family. Could be the last time you get Christmas. Right. Never get a Christmas again. <laughs> so I think it was like the 26th or something of December. I walked in at 11 p.m., well, 10.45 whatnot and we said okay evening shift made a heroin bust you're transporting the person to jail and having to search search and do everything at the jail congratulations time to put big boy pants on and go to work so how did it go it's jail got to write your first report yeah. <laughs> Actually, at, at that point in time, I don't know if we did report or not for that because nowadays, yeah, you have to. You have to report on everything. Everybody that touched the scene has to do some some document. kind of report. That's right. I don't know at that point in time because all I was doing was transporting. I was I didn't find any other drugs. There was nothing. It's really it would have been a two line report. I. Left the PD, took him to jail. Were you nervous when you knew you were going to go do that by yourself? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you've never done that. Absolutely. It's just like anybody on any job. I'm yeah. supposed to tell some guy to, to get naked and bend over and cough. And Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are fixing it. 23 years old. I was like, I remember this from the academy. <laughs> when I was done, I went back to my car and pulled my manual. Like, yo, that's not in there, guys. There's no diagram. I don't know what I'm doing with this. This is there's something wrong. So, thank goodness you took those elective classes in high school, man. That's that physics came in real handy right there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the square root of yeah, yeah. So, so back to Hardin County. Uh, I was, I just really wanted to go back to your first call because I know on mine it was a very memorable time, and I, I cherish those moments uh, because I felt like it was a big point of maturity in the career. Uh, but so back to Hardin County. So you now in Hardin at Hardin County, you were able to have the ability to specialize in different departments in the in the, in the county because. 
you're, you're, you got whole new opportunities now with this type of law enforcement. So tell us about how your career has progressed with Hardin County from a patrol officer to where you are now. Well, I spent four years or so in patrol. Mm -hmm. And then I got the opportunity to go. One is I was the only one. Lamar sent me to the class for the mental health peace officer. Okay. I was the only one in the county that had that certification. And the county was creating the mental health unit with, it's a collaboration with Stendletop, the local mental health authority. The sheriff was like, hey, we're looking at starting this. Are you interested in doing this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in doing mm -hmm. that. I've been there for since March of 19, so almost four years. So generally speaking, uh, uh, what are maybe just like the top handful of things that typically you do other than I guess maybe serve warrants and maybe even maybe there's follow-up if there's pe people who are already on y'all's, you know, on y'all's caseloads or... Thing, thing I do when I was in patrol or things I do the, now that I'm in mental health. The mental health liaison as you are. The mental health liaison. We do lots of things. Okay. See, a lot of people in the audience probably have never heard of a law enforcement mental health liaison or, or an officer that does specifically what you do. Right. They may not even have any awareness that you right. exist or that your your type of law enforcement exists. So I have a, a partner uh, that's assigned to me from the local mental health authority okay. that has a degree in either social work or Oh, yeah, yeah some, uh, some like counseling or something yeah, along those lines. Uh, Psychology, maybe, uh, yeah. Has one of, there's only like three degrees that you can have to, sure. to, to have that. Okay. Uh, they have, so I've got them as a partner, mm -hmm. and then I have the law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement is given certain rights. I can take your freedom away. Yes. Uh, they cannot. So, so the partnership, we, you go to a mental health call, they're looking at, at the clinical definitions of things. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the overall, is this person putting themselves in danger? Mm -hmm. Is this person putting other people in danger? Mm -hmm. Do I need to take away their liberty, their freedom, and make them go see a doctor? Gotcha. Okay, and and so you do, you're there to assess from that angle this danger to self or others, and then you have those those tools, if you will, those uh, authorities at your disposal, which is kind of the judgment on the scene. You know, okay, this person obviously is threatening themselves, or they just threatened a family member. Okay, well they can't stay. Okay, they they've got to go, and it's not necessarily a crime. It is there are le there are legal contingents for mental health issues. And I presume then that from there you engage them in the process of evaluating yeah. and all that. Do I need to, are they committing a low level offense? Do I need to divert them from going to jail mm -hmm. and get them help? Right. Whether it, regardless of whether it be a hospital stay mm -hmm. or I hook them up with resources, I get them a doctor's appointment, right. a, a psychiatrist. Right. What? What do I think is right. best? What what 
can best help them. Right. Uh, and I guess that, whatever they're doing. I presume that's where you work with your colleague on the scene to say, you know, do we get them? Do we get them to a doc? What do we do here? And they they're a little bit more aware of their resources at that point. Yes. I got you. Okay. So 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 you got. Who, who needs to do this? Is it something I need to take their their freedom away from them and make them see the mm -hmm. dog? Is this something that, no, they're, they're not really hurting themselves or other people, but there's something off I need. Let's see if they're willing to go to a doctor's appointment and right. do some outpatient stuff. Right. Uh, do they need counseling? Mm -hmm. Which gamut of the mental health world right. do they need right now right. to best. So you know, we have such a perception, and I hate that it's it's exploded and exploited, uh, because I think most people see law enforcement as an asset to our community. I really do. I believe yeah, absolutely. Do. I think there's a very small part that want to see it as a negative. So I, I, I point that out to put it back to you in the form of a question, say when you show up on a scene like that, obviously there's been some disturbance that's it's come through the chain of report. You guys are responding. So you show up and they obviously could see that you're equipped. You, know, you have your you know, badges and weapons and they, they, and they quickly figure out who you are and why you're there with your partner, your colleague who is there for the mental health side. Do you find that that becomes an asset in situations? They're like, oh, okay, there's an authority on the scene now. I need to kind of back off and listen and, and play along better, or do you find they are a little bit more reactive? So we we try to be less of the cop. Okay. Uh, and control our cop. We're taking, I, I try to do like we're doing here, just talk to people. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are certain things that we typically do you know, as law enforcement, like, you, you always stand in a certain manner, uh, projecting yourself as, "Hey, I'm I'm here for business." Yeah, you're an authority. Yeah, I try not to do that. Okay, I I you I come in and sit down on your couch with you, sit here and talk to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I want to still have visual clues that it's safe to do that. Yeah, and, and lean against the wall is one of my typical favorite things to do All right. to show that I'm not here really in the cop room. Yeah. And I, I have that, that I can pull out of my bag. Yes. But I'm, I'm here to help you. Right. If I can right. not have that same perceived that, oh, he's the big bad cop. Right. He, no, I'm Tom. I'm here right. to help you. Right. So really, it's still come. It's just it's 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 a unique scene, but it's still that problem solving uh, type of of uh, of approach. Like, how can we solve this? What like thus you, we start with discovery. What's the problem? And then let's start working on a solution. And and in that, and I appreciate your, you know, being in mental health. I appreciate the personality you're bringing to that. You know, hey, it's casual. Yeah. Let's figure out how we can solve this, you know, and I like that. And, and a lot of times we don't know what's going on. Correct. Uh, un unlike for a patrol officer, it's my car was just stolen. I was raped. My boyfriend hit me. Mm -hmm. I know the problem going in. Yes. Or at here, least we got a hint. Got a hint. Here, the family's called and said they're 
acting out or they're mm-hmm. they're doing right they're being real strange they're talking to themselves yeah whatever yeah. it may be now i've got to kind of figure out what well what's going on right who's if they're talking to themselves well are they talking in a dialogue with themselves mm-hmm. or are they hearing voices or seeing things the only way I'm going to get that is through conversation with mm-hmm. that person and them being willing to tell me. Mm-hmm. If not, I have to go with the collateral information, which right. is vague at best. Did you ever consider that you, at some point in your career, would be this this version of a crisis counselor? Nah. That's basically what you are. Nah. <laughs> yeah, in, a, in a way, I mean, you're like, I'm responding to the crisis, and then I have to get it from point this to point this until I hand it over to, to some other response. But that's basically what I hear you doing, which I think is... Was, is amazing, but the question was, and you answered it. Did you ever see yourself being this kind of officer? No, this this was not my. I I love doing the narcotics. And I yeah. love doing DWIs and and doing that. Yeah, um, it's a whole different kind of rush. Isn't it? I, it, it, to use one of uh, 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 Rob's favorite term, that's a reinvention. And and I love it how just the nature of your industry just kind of forced you that way, and you just went with it. And uh, to us, that's that's always attractive to hear the stories of people doing stuff like that. Like you know what, I just kind of went with it, and I found something I kind of like, and I think I'm good at. Would you say that? Would yeah. you say you're good at? It? I would think so. Good. Deal. And I guess that segues into some one of our questions we like to ask. You know, would you consider yourself a success? I very much think so. That's good. That's awesome. And are there a couple, some components of what you define as success? So we have young people who are maybe starting their career and they want to be successful in that career. Say, well, to me, a success is. I mean, of course, it's I'm able to pay my bills. I have a roof over my head. Okay. I drive the car. I okay. not not a Ferrari or something is that's. <laughs> Not gonna happen with cops. Okay, okay. But I, I'm able to do. I, I have. I I love to cook. Okay. Um, I almost every night I'm cooking something. Okay. Uh, I, I'm able to do the things that I want to do. Okay. So other than the financial, which you say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm okay there. uh, Are there other characteristics of success away from the, you know, the financial abilities that that your career afforded you? I mean, are you happy? There you go. Are 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 you making a purpose? Did, or are you just spinning your wheels? Yeah, yeah. And I I know it is one of the unique things as a, as a copy. Typically, you respond to the bad stuff, mm-hmm. you mop it up as best you can, mm-hmm. and you never talk about it again. Okay. My job, because I'm going to do follow-ups with these people, I get to see them after they get out of the hospital, or I get to take them to their doctor's appointment, whatever. Okay. So I I end up getting a bond with those people, mm. and that's very. I unique. get to see the the hey, 
thanks for that time. I was going to kill myself. But right. Because y'all came in and you you stopped me. Sometimes that's forcefully stopped you. Right. But you stopped me and was able to redirect me. And mm-hmm. now I'm thriving. Right. So I have purpose. I have something that I'm, I'm working towards making other people yeah. better. Kind of like what y'all do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, look, I want to say something. We're about to switch gears a little bit, but I want to say I really appreciate your brand of law enforcement. Yeah. And I thank you for coming on here and helping us raise awareness with our audience and the public in general that there is this faction of law enforcement out there. Uh, many people, I may venture to say most, don't even realize that right. mental health officers exist. Uh, the, the the majority of the public, if you listen to the media or watch the media, all they talk about is, you know, cops with guns. Yeah. And a gun is the very least part of your job description right now. Uh, and that's, I, I think that's beautiful. You are truly a public servant hmm. uh, to the nth degree. And I appreciate that. And thank you for helping us raise awareness about what you do. Now to a question. Uh, are you married? I am. And how does your wife feel about you being a cop? Well, I kind of meant that way. I, I, <laughs> Which I think that's a leading question that you have, because mm-hmm. you kind of know some of my stories. A little bit, yeah. Uh, We're getting there. So we, we met. She was my partner at the... She was doing the qualified mental health side of it, and I was the deputy... That's a strong recruiting tactic, you know, Mm -hmm. like to bring him over to this side, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's a recruiter. (laughs) She she recruited you into this marriage. No, that's uh, how long have you guys been married? Yeah. Oh, we're just over a year. Congratulations. Congratulations. So uh, now we're going to move a little bit into a a topic that's going to take a little bit of time. And I'm going to ask you, all, all, well, not all, a lot of officers who have served for a decade or more will have a night or a call that stands out above all others, an experience that that seared into their, into their mind, into their life, and caused change in their life. And you've had at least one of those, if not more. How many do you think you've had in your career? Big calls. There's at least five or six. Okay. Can you briefly describe the top five without going into too much detail? Well, I was in an officer-involved shooting. Okay. I had a call right after Harvey with a fire where somebody worked. Five children and a woman died. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a kid that was playing with some family's gun and shot his best friend in the face. Uh, I, I still remember the first murder that I worked. Costly, yeah. That that was an anomaly in and of itself because I just so happened to be in the area and caught the guy running away from the scene. Uh, 
So that that's probably the top five. You left out the one. No, I had my officer involved shooting. Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a big top five. That is. And the reason I asked the way that I did is because I know about the one that we're about to talk about. I know about that one case, that one call. But a lot of uh, um, there's a lot of experience in a cop's career that gets forgotten or gets overlooked by everyone around him, and they all matter, not just the one that gets publicized or gets all the attention. And those things that you mentioned, some of those are more profound than the one we're fixing to talk about. Uh, cases where kids lose lives, those are big. Uh, I've had a few of those, and they definitely left scars on my memory and in my heart. So, uh, but if you would go ahead and tell us about your famous call, famous call, one that everybody knows about from start to finish, if you could. So it first started out, I got a phone call from a dad and it was probably May, early May or late May. I'm sorry. And he was like, hey, my son's doing blah, blah, blah. And I was actually in the FBI hostage negotiation school at the time. Okay. And it's like, I can't help you out. If this is happening, you need to call 911, call the sheriff's office, get somebody out there immediately. I, I'm not able to do it because I'm in the middle of a class. He's like, okay, didn't hear anything about from then on June 20th of 2019, he called me back. He called you direct? At the sheriff's office. Okay. Right? A lot of people have my yeah. my work cell phone. Not a lot of people have my personal. Like, called my work cell, told me that his son was having an issue. He... The night before he came to his house, was talking about how the cell phone tower that's out back behind their property uh, was shooting laser beams or, or something to that effect, killing people, and it was all tied into the cartels, and that he needed to borrow his dad's cell phone number so that he could punch it in and stop the cartels from doing this. Dad didn't allow him to have a cell phone. He was talking about killing himself at that point in time. Dad just went in there and, I guess, went to sleep. Woke up the next morning, and his hay bales at his field had all been caught on fire. Smoldering. And he was like, can you come out and evaluate my son? He was like... 10 o'clock in the morning at this point in time. I, I looked over to Chelsea and I was like, eh, I guess we know that, that we're going to Beaumont because uh, we take, when we do an emergency apprehension, and we take somebody to the hospital. For mental them, health. For, for a mental health evaluation. We take them to Beaumont. Him catching the field on fire, already talked about suicide, was talking about the gar cartels, shooting out laser beams out of a tower. I was already portraying myself, okay, we're going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, 
I'm not. This guy needs help. I'm not 100% there, but I'm like 85% sure that. So we started making plans for, okay, we're going to eat lunch in uh, in Beaumont. Mm Mm-hmm. Because so, we're going to be there anyway. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. where we are. And mm-hmm. we've got a lot more options in Beaumont than we do in uh, Arden County. So we, we're doing that. And I showed up on scene. So where was the scene? It's west of Sour Lake. Describe Earth. that that type of the, that part of the country for the audience. Just kind of tell them what we're talking about, where you're at as far as, is it an urban environment? Is it out in the country? Is there a lot of people around? Describe the environment. Very rural. Like I already Good. mentioned, he has got a hay field. Uh, hay field. He has bundles of hay. His son's actually living in a Connex trailer that he converted into a house on his dad's property. Hmm. Okay. That's back in the sticks. So... I met with the dad there. Uh, Mom, which dad's divorced from, her new, her and her new partner, uh, husband or boyfriend, whatever, was there. Uh, We talked to them for a little bit, just gathering information. And, okay, let's go talk to him. The mom... Kind of seemed a little apprehensive, whatnot. I just thought that 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 funny feeling going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm. And I was like, intentionally, I I don't typically wear my bullet resistant vest. Mm-hmm. I have it in the back of my culture sitting there. I was like, mom, and I I knew that the guy had previously made threats and whatnot. Mm. So I went, I put on my vest to go talk to this guy, let the mom know, try to calm her fear. Hey, I'm only putting this on because I don't know what's about to happen. And uh, I went to call for a backup unit. The only unit that was in the area, they right about the same time, a overdose call came out where somebody tried to kill themselves mm. and he got sent to that call so it's like okay that's the only one that's going to be in the area for because there's only I think there was only three people plus me working at the time mm. besides the admin staff mm-hmm. and one's taken out the other two are probably 20-30 minutes away mm-hmm. so like okay I guess I'm going to have to do this myself so I drive up there, get out of the car, kind of felt very hurried because the dad had come over and was kind of hurrying me up. Had anxiety. And he was where, putting it on. where I typically just relaxed, walk up there. You know, the dad was, was in, in my mindset, he was pressuring me to, to, to get there and do something. Rushing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had that going on. The dad gets there and starts knocking on the door, trying to open the the son's door. Mm -hmm. The son's yelling at him, go away. I'm going to call the sheriff's office. You don't leave. You're trespassing. After 15, 20 seconds of the dad trying, I was like, let me take a knock on it. He's already saying he's going to call us. Let me. Let him know you're uh, here. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I knocked on the door, said, hey, my name's Deputy Lee with the Sheriff's Office. I, I want to talk to you. And he went high and to the right. Just me saying that I was the Sheriff's Office. It set him off. Instead of de-escalating the situation, that piece of information escalated the situation. Oh, boy. And he started screaming and, and MFing me and everything else. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to him through the door of this Connex trailer. I'm like, hey, I just want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I just want to know what's going on, see if I can help you out. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. He was like, you want me to come out? It's like, man, I just want to talk to you. You better prepare yourself. I'm fixing to come out. And next thing I know, he kicked open his door. Door f flung outward. Now, cops, we have a typical way we stand at doors. Mm -hmm. uh, you never stand in front of it. Mm -mm. It's what's called a fatal funnel. Okay. Uh, so I'm not standing in front of the door. I'm standing um, side of it. So mm -hmm. it came open. And I had to kind of peek around the door to see him yeah and when I peeked around the door he's standing there with a crossbow pointed at me I took off running down the side of this Connex trailer because I'm trying to unholster my gun because it's holstered I'm I wasn't there looking for right for any type of a fight and as I was unholstering I must have turned around to look back mm -hmm. and I hear a and all of a sudden, I felt sunburn in my arm and on my face. Huh. And, and it felt, it, it seemed like forever, because for, my mental processes were going so fast. I was like, huh, that's weird. Why do I feel a sunburn? I, and it, it didn't take me long, because I, I ended up firing a shot off from the hip, not even aiming at him, I fired off at the at the hill at him. So it must have been like half a second, but it felt like right. 15, 20 seconds. Right. Of me trying to figure out why my face was an arm was burning. Didn't take me long to figure out that hey, I'm just been shot. Oh man. But I fired a shot off at him. He took off running, and I ran up to the front door of his place as he ran out towards the field. I see a couple groves of trees out there, and him running towards it, and then I see him start drawing a machete. And I'm like, okay, he's already tried to kill me. He's now, he can go behind those trees and, and start reload that crossbow my my buddies are gonna come he he's not getting away but him pulling out that crossbow or the machete he he's planning on continuing this violence yes so i i leveled off and i ended up shooting two more times at him the first one as i was coming up on him just in 
like I was saying, we still have those, all those human things going on. And I, I was so pumped up, I fired around before I was even on target. As I was coming up, I, I squeezed one on. Right. And then I was able to get on target. I shot him in the back. Yeah. But he was drawing this machine. Right. With the intent to do more. That's the only thing that... Sure. Why else would you draw a machete in this situation? Certainly. So... Tell us, tell the audience about the injuries you sustained uh, from that incident. So I, I really didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how bad my head was. I knew that there was blood. Uh, I reached up and, and saw the blood on my hand. His mom came up to me, and, and son's been shot, but she came to me. She looked at me. She's like, hey. It looks like it's just a graze wound on your head. She gave me a handkerchief. She said, apply pressure. I was, and she identified herself as a former paramedic. Okay. Uh, I was like, hey, you got far better medical training than I do. Mm. Go take care of your son. She went over there to take care of her son. I went and made sure the weapons were away from him so that he wasn't going to continue any sure. violence towards me, towards the rest of the family, towards Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, I, but he, he had dropped the crossbow, which I never saw him drop, mm. but it was down 15 feet or so from him. Mm. And when he, I guess when he got hit, he threw the, it caused him to throw the machete, and it was like 10 feet away from him. Okay. I was like, okay, I don't think he's moving much because he's just laying there moaning and groaning. Mm. I'm going to let those lay where they are So, because now it's an active crime scene. They're going to investigate me mm -hmm. as to whether I should have shot him or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to leave those laying where they are mm -hmm. so... They can get out there and get it. It's not something that I think he's going to be able to get up and come after mm -hmm. to, to attack any of them. Right. So I left those there and started, went, went to my vehicle, started decompressing. My, my administration was, because I'd already called, when I was running up to the door, I had called out shots fired. Mm. Uh, so they, they're all, and, and the radio reception was very poor in mm. this area. Uh, so I was having trouble getting out mm -hmm. anyway to mm -hmm. tell them what was going on. Uh, so I went back to my car to compose myself, Ended up getting on the radio in my car, using mm -hmm. a car radio because it's much stronger signal than mm -hmm. the handheld. Mm -hmm. uh, was able to let them know mm -hmm. what had transpired. Mm -hmm. uh, my whole thought was very conscious effort. Like me being a cop, mm -hmm. I know you you get called to an officer assist. Mm -hmm. You're you're now at one hundred and ten. Mm -hmm. So I, I very intentionally got on the radio and said, hey, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. He's down and 
trying to get my guys not to to kill themselves mm-hmm. getting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So to paint the picture for the audience, so you've called out on the radio, you've attempted to, to calm everybody down, everybody shows up. What are your effects physically from this now? Like you you like how do you how did that affect you long term? Well very little physically. Okay, good. Uh I, I I've got a little scar here. The audience probably can't even see it. But people people call it this my Harry Potter scar. Nice. <laughs> yes. And and I, I've got a little bit of nerve damage from that. Yeah. Because if I if I push on it or touch it, instead of feeling it across my head here, which I do a little bit, but I also feel it in like the side of my head. Isn't that crazy? And when it first happened, like every time I'd get a haircut and they'd cut the side of my head, it'd burn right across the, my scar. Wow. Interesting. Well, I'm really proud of you for how you handled yourself. Yes. And I, I'm sure that you attribute a lot of your instinct and everything to your training and experience. Would you agree with that? Yep. And, you know, they, they drill that into you in the academy. Your training and experience, your training and experience. I'm sure you remember hearing that uh, when you're talking about report writing and you're talking about, you know, all that stuff. And that's what happened. Your training is is what, you know, your instinct was trained into you. Mm. Uh, and I'm I'm proud to hear how you how you handled yourself. Indeed. Uh, so. What would you tell young officers aspiring to become cops, young people aspiring to come co- become cops? It's, it's an noble profession. I mean, you have the ability to greatly impact people both in a positive and a negative way. Mm-hmm. But you have, I mean, everything you're doing is changing people's lives. Right. I don't care if it's the victim of a car crash that you're you're there talking to and it's your 30th car crash. That's still a traumatic event to them. Yes. Even though, I mean, it's an everyday occurrence. So maybe our fifth or sixth car crash will work today. Mm-hmm. doesn't really mean a hill of beans to us. Mm-hmm. But they're now looking at financial ruin. Mm-hmm. Possibly death. Death, mm-hmm. permanent, there's, can't walk anymore. Different yeah, things happen. Yeah, things that they're having to go through, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got to you've got to keep your eye on the. Even though it, it, this is normal for us, mm-hmm. it's not normal for everybody. Right, right. There's a respect factor there to that. Yeah, and I think that's very good information to any young person that's thinking of going into law enforcement too to respect what skills you're bringing to the, to a scene, which is overwhelming to the people you're bringing it to. That's good. Well, we appreciate all this that you've shared with us. We're kind of getting towards the end of the interview now. And I want to ask you this question, same question I ask every guest that we bring on here. Uh, And you had asked me as we started, you know, if I was going to show you the questions or whatever. And if you, if you had seen any or listened to any of the other past interviews, this one question, every guest can count on getting. And it is, if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, let's say before you graduated high school, 
What advice might you give yourself knowing what you know now? Everything has a purpose. That's that's true. True story. Ain't no doubt about that. I mean, probably my worst time besides my, my dad's death was when I got fired from the team. Mm. And that, even though it was super hard at the time and there, there was a lot of things that, that was done wrong, it still works out. So would you agree with this statement? Everything is done for you. Nothing is done to you. Hmm. To a degree, I would have to, I would have to say that you're right there. Well, it's not about me being right. right. It's just, <laughs> okay. is the, is the statement a statement of fact? To at least to a degree. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Because I was just rephrasing what you said. All those things that had happened in your life mm-hmm. pointed you the way to where you are now. Yeah. Because if, if those things wouldn't have happened, I would have never been down here in Beaumont. Mm-hmm. I would have never met my wife. There it is. I mean, there, there's lots of things. There it is. A lot of ingredients in this gumbo. Mm. Right? <laughs> so a door had to be closed so another one would open, and then you went through it. And here you are. Oh, wow. Well, we really appreciate yeah. having you on here, and uh, I I can't thank you enough for being willing to sacrifice your life uh, and, and being willing to lay it down, if necessary, in service of your fellow man in our community. So thank you for that, and thank you for being a guest on our show. Chuck, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I'd just reiterate that. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate everything that you've dedicated your life to and the differences that you're making, man. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you all. Yes, sir. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with? I think we, we've covered a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. there's always more things that we can say, but... Well, you're a hero, Tom, and, and as they say, not all heroes wear capes, and uh, I feel like we've had one with us here today, and thank you. Um, again, everybody out in the audience, thank you guys for joining us here again today. Uh, I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And today we've had with us... Tom Lee. Sergeant. Tom Lee, and we appreciate all of you out there allowing us the opportunity to become a part of the pursuit of your purpose. Have a great day.